0: This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports.
1: High noon, this is Toronto Today. My Ogan for Gareth Wheeler today, and in fact all week, here on TSN 1050. Coming up uh, this hour, Robert Weeks will join us. TSN Golf Analyst, co-host of Golf Talk Canada on TSN 1050. Uh, he I don't know. Is he over there now? Has he already flown across the pond? He is over in jolly old as we speak, getting ready for the Open Championship. And we'll talk to Bob about that. Get his thoughts on what happened in Jersey yesterday as well as, uh, as the U.S. Women's Open was held. Uh, and also she has touched down in Boston. Laura Armstrong uh, will drop by. If I was in Boston, if you, you touch down in Boston, you got the afternoon to kill, boom, break right the legal seafood. I don't know if you guys have ever done that, if you've been in Boston. Outstanding. The portions are way too big. I mean, enormous portions of seafood. Can't go wrong with that. Um, but uh, Laura will join us from Boston. Of course, she works for the Toronto Star. And uh, she's covering the Blue Jays as so they get ready for the Red Sox. Four-game set. After the uh, Jays start the second half, looking exactly like the Toronto Blue Jays. Crappy starting pitching. They rely on the home run way too much. The defense is terrible, and they lose the series. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the Toronto Blue Jays in a nutshell. And uh, that's how they started against Detroit, and Detroit is not a very good team. Uh, They now go into Boston, which is a very good team. And they split yesterday. They, they, they split the 3 nothing shutout games with the Yankees. But the good news for the Blue Jays is that eliminated Price and Porcello. Both gone. So you don't have to deal with them. Uh, Sale will be obviously a guy that they wish they could have avoided. But he'll go in game four. It's uh, Rodri- uh, Rodriguez versus uh, Stroman tonight. So you would think at least tonight there's an advantage in the starting pitching for the Blue Jays. There may be a couple of opportunities. Um, The other thing that comes into play is that they're playing in a very home-run friendly park, and maybe the Jays can take advantage of that. And that, again, if you're trying to look for anything uh, to keep you in the glass-half-full category, which is becoming more difficult and more difficult and more difficult, especially this year. One of the guys, This is surprising, somebody that we're going to hear a clip from who's on the morning show today. Uh, Steve Phillips, former Major League executive and uh, one of our insiders here at TSN, um, is a guy that at the beginning of the se- uh, season picked the Blue Jays to win the American League East. Um, I, I, I don't know if he had very many people agreeing with that prediction at the beginning of the season, certainly in this quarter. Uh, I, I, I thought you know, Steve was reaching a little bit. And, and we had that discussion, so I'm not talking out of school here. But uh, Steve was asked today, not about this year specifically, because I think most realists realize that it's going to take next to a minor miracle uh, to get in. And again, I did the math, if you weren't listening in the last hour, for the Jays to go um, and end up with 85 wins, which is a fairly low number to get into the playoffs, but it might be the case this year. Still, to get to just 85 wins, they'd have to, Play 43 and 28 baseball, a 606 clip down the stretch. This team isn't good enough to do that. It's just not. So now you have to be a little bit, slash, a lot more realistic about what's going to happen this year. And that might be setting yourself up for years to come. And Steve Phillips talked about the Jays and will it be this bad long term?
2: Well, yeah, no, I I guess I don't look at it that way. I mean, in two or three years, you'll still have Sanchez and Stroman under control and Osuna under control. Uh, you know, they're going to have to make some other moves. Uh, but that's, yeah, I, I you know, looking at a three-year plan for the Blue Jays, I don't feel disaster. I just don't because, one, I have a level of trust that the front office will make the moves they need to continue the cycle of being competitive. Uh, they've got smoke under control for next year, too, which I failed to mention. is having a great year. Uh, so, you know, they're gonna have to at some point deal with the Donaldson part of everything, uh, which, you know, what, what will that mean? But that could turn into a, either a championship team next year, and if not, then they'll have to consider trading him and bringing back some level of return. You know, the idea that, that you could trade Donaldson today and really score big, the, the reality is if you trade them next year, you'll probably get a little bit less. But you need to be able to try to compete and honor where you are as an organization. So he's not a guy I would trade right now. So, I, yeah, I look at it, I don't I don't feel disaster. I just feel like they've got, you know, they've got to you know, recycle and, and keep retooling as they move forward. But you know that's what these guys did when they were in Cleveland. And now they, you know, they left an organization that's in a pretty good place right now.
1: And Steve Phillips talking about the Blue Jays down the road three years. So you, you look at the guys who might go. This year, players who are under contract for this year and next year um, or just this year. And Josh Donaldson is obviously uh, the top name that comes to mind. He is 17 million this year and then arbitration eligible. So he's under control for a couple of years. Jose Bautista, there's still almost nine million dollars, eight million dollars and change left on his contract this year. Who the hell wants to pay that for the results that you would be getting back? And then there's that mutual option next year. So you're not really tied into that next year, but you're not going to get very much for Bautista. Uh, Marco Estrada, have hitters finally caught up to the changeup? He threw way too many breaking balls yesterday, and they were just sitting on them. And we saw what happened, especially early in the first inning. Just three runs. You get the 3 nothing lead in the top of the first, you blink, and it's gone. Uh, Liriano is a UFA at the end of the year, but he's terrible. Who Nobody would touch him. Jay Happ uh, has this year and next year left on his contract. So those, those are kind of the names that are out there. But Phillips says just one of those players would bring in a big haul.
2: Only Donaldson. Uh, I think Donaldson's the guy that brings that kind of a haul. I mean, that's the level of a guy you're talking about. You know, I I like Marcus Stroman, but I think that that most people in the game consider Jose Quintana a level above Marcus Stroman. Uh, you know, Aaron Sanchez uh, has had that great year, but you know hasn't uh, you know kind of evolved. And look, those two guys could bring back really nice talent in return. You know, on a first division team, you know, like a championship level team, I think most teams would look at Sanchez and Stroman. You know, because Sanchez is better than Stroman, uh, but, you know, hasn't proven himself as much beyond that one great year. And so I think that, that, you know, they ideally, on a first division team right now, they would want those two guys at the number three spot. Now, you could, you could make a case they could both be number two starters right now on a team uh, buying for the playoffs, as long as they have a solid guy just like them you know, to be the 2-3 sort of a guy in that rotation. And with that, you're not going to get the the sort of blockbuster return. Quintana right now moves to like the two spot uh, for the, the, the Cubs behind John Lester, although Lester's not pitched all that well this year.
1: Okay, we'll get into the Quintana deal in a couple of seconds with Phillips. But first, he was talking about Donaldson being the only guy that would bring in a big haul. So the question is, should they hold on to him?
2: You could trade Donaldson today and really score big. The reality is, if you trade them next year, you'll probably get a little bit less. But you need to be able to try to compete and honor where you are as an organization. So he's not a guy I would trade right now. So I, yeah, I look at it, I don't I don't feel disaster. I just feel like they've got you know they've got to you know recycle and and keep retooling as they move forward. But you know that's what these guys did when they were in Cleveland, and now that you know they left an organization that's in a pretty good place right now.
1: The Donaldson question is a big one. It's one that has to be addressed, and it's something that uh, they have to be sure of. They can't swing and miss with whatever they decide to do with Donaldson. Um, The way that it looks now, they didn't give up a ton to get him. This trade really did not work out at all, with no disrespect to Kendall Graveman for the Oakland A's. Um, But now you have an asset in the bringer of rain. You have to, you have to, sit down and talk to his agent about the long-term goals of Josh Donaldson and whether or not those goals can be accomplished in Toronto. If it is simply, I'm going to make as much money as I can, I'm going to go to the open bidder when I become a free agent in 2019, well, so be it, fine. And if the Jays are going to be in on that, do they strike while the iron is hot? You have, to be, you have to figure this out one way or the other. If, if Josh Donaldson doesn't want to be a part of the organization long term, then you have to start trying to put together the best possible package that you can right now. You might get a little bit more if you trade him now because whoever acquires him is going to be able to use him next year. And right now there are several, teams looking, several contending teams that are looking for a third baseman. That might not be the case next year. There may be fewer teams contending, and the teams that contend may all be very happy with what they have at third base. And don't forget the White Sox are also trying to move a third baseman right now as well. So there could be a little bit of a bidding war here. So if Donaldson doesn't want to be a part of the organization, or you're hesitant that he's going to come back and be a part of the organization, then hell, make the move now. What happens if he blows out a knee, God forbid, or an elbow or a short, or something long term? You might not he might walk away from nothing. And he is too valuable a commodity. when you look at it simply is how much is this chattel worth? Well, Donaldson's worth a lot right now. He is not having an ideal year by his standards. Zero question about that. Do you not think that the Cardinals? Or God forbid, if you trade in the division, the Yankees or the Red Sox would be interested in having him at third base. And duh. Red Sox apparently looking very hard at Todd Fraser right now. If you think there's a chance, well, you consider the, conver- uh, the, the 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 conversations going forward. But you have to you have to make a decision on Josh Donaldson. The other deal that has already been made was. Chicago, White Sox, unloading to Chicago, Cubs, Jose Quintana, who was just spectacular yesterday. Um, the White Sox got a boatload of prospects back. They have four prospects, two of whom are rated exceptionally highly. One is an elite prospect. So now the NA, the NL specifically has to adapt to what the Cubs are doing. Specifically, Milwaukee is certainly taking a look over the shoulder right now. Here's Phillips on how the Contana trade has affected NLGM's thinking.
2: That idea that as you're standing still, people are moving back, that you're moving, literally feels like you're moving backwards because other people are moving forward. That's that feeling you get as a general manager. Yet, you can't let that emotion turn into a knee-jerk reaction to try to do something different because you know, Your natural instinct is, oh, I better go just say yes to that offer that I got that I really don't like, but it would make us better, and yeah, I'll, I'll deal with the ramifications of it later. You've got to just keep your patience. I mean, it's a, it is a lifetime uh, from July 17th through July 31st. I mean, two weeks is a long time. Yet, if you need starting pitching and Jose Quintana's off the board, you know it's all about supply and demand, and you start to think, okay, the supply just went down. In a significant way with one of the big impact guys at the front of the rotation, I need to start stepping up and being more serious about it so uh it it you know it it may force you and it, and there's a real benefit to that preemptive strike to get the guy early, even if you pay a little bit more because if you wait, the price may go beyond even what the early price had to be
1: and that increased demand might be good for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, in terms of, oh, I don't know, J Hap. Can't hurt. Um also, as far as the uh, Jays are or, or the, uh, the 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 National League is concerned, rather, the Cubs right now not in a playoff spot. Milwaukee has a four and a half game lead on the Cubs, and they really have to be looking over their shoulder at the Cubs. Four and a half games out, as mentioned. But right now If Milwaukee were to be in second place, say, in the Central, if the Cubs were to pass them, then Milwaukee's 553 percentage not good enough to get a wild card spot. So Milwaukee really has to be concerned about going toe-to-toe with the Cubs. And could they use some more starting pitching? Yes, any team could. So do the Brewers now have to go out and counterpunch? That's a fairly significant Question. And uh, we'll get more Jays talk coming up here uh, in a couple of seconds as uh, Laura Armstrong will drop by and we will talk to uh, Laura about all things Blue Jays. She's in Boston for the, uh, uh, for the four-gamer with the Red Sox. Do we break here, guys, or do we continue? Okay, we'll continue. We're just going to get Laura here in a couple of seconds. A reminder that Bob Weeks is going to join us as well a little bit later on in the hour. At the bottom of the clock, Weeks, he will join us from across the pond. And uh, we will uh, talk to the TSN golf analyst and the co-host of Golf Talk Canada uh, about the Open Championship. Uh, a reminder that we also have our uh, poll question up and uh, the Blue Jays leading this one. What has been the biggest sports story in Toronto? Would love you to vote at TSN 1050 Radio. You can find it at TSN Mike Hogan as well. Uh, SJ Green and Ricky Ray, 15% say that's the biggest uh, story of the summer. Uh, 16% say TFC being dominant again. The Raptors reshuffling just 5% of voters saying that 64 percent say the falling blue jays has been the story of the year and somebody who has uh, been covering that firsthand for the toronto star laura armstrong joins us from boston how you doing laura
3: i'm good thanks how are you
1: very good thank you how was the flight
3: it was, it was good, it was easy, and it's a beautiful day in, in Boston, so no complaints on this
1: end. It's always a beautiful day in Boston, even when it rains or snows. Um, we've been talking for the most part about uh, the big story surrounding the Jays, which is not the minutiae of the series coming up or the one in Detroit, but the big, uh, the big picture with the Blue Jays and, and what they should do with their personnel before the trade deadline. What sense do you get following the team as closely as you do uh, about what the Jays may do in the next couple of weeks?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly up in the air, and, and I think that we, you know, ended the All-Star break at a point where the Jays, in terms of numbers-wise, yeah, they're sort of far out from the wild card spot, but they're not that far out, that it seems completely unbelievable that they they wouldn't, um, you know, manage to, to make a comeback. You know, there was a lot of talk about tossing around a 10-game win streak, which, you know, for Jays last year might not have been crazy, but for Jays this year, it certainly uh, would be a big step up. Um, that being said, you know, there's people that we've talked about in terms of um, of, of selling pieces for the Blue Jays. Um, they haven't been doing so great this year. So that's going to be a little bit of an interesting sort of um, nugget in the, the next two weeks is the fact that, you know, you've looked at Marco Estrada, Francisco Liriano, you know, J. Happ to a lesser extent as, as people who, who might be um, of interest to other teams, but you you. Seen Marco Estrada struggle for um, a, more than a month now. Francisco Liriano is not averaging much more than three innings and outing. So it's certainly um, the cards that the Blue Jays have on the table are um, they're not they're not ideal right now. And so I would think that you know the sense is that if, if something's going to happen, I would expect that it happens sort of closer to the trade deadline um, when and when people have sort of other teams have, have run through their options. Um, and and decided that these Jays players are are people that you can bet
1: on. You mentioned that 10-game winning streak, which may be elusive to the Jays as the great white whale was to Captain Ahab. Um, But (laughs) do you see them being even remotely uh, capable of of being able to pull off one? And and more likely, uh, you'll need to do two lengthy winning streaks to get into the playoffs this year. Do the Jays have that in them?
3: I don't, I don't know. I, you know, I would say right now I don't think so. And I think that that comes from the fact that they haven't proven that they've had it at all this season. Um, you know, I think last, yesterday was a really interesting game, um, in Detroit where there were, it wasn't just a matter of pitching was bad, defense was bad, the bats once again were cold. And, and, you know, everything seems to be going wrong to an extent for the Blue Jays. Um, you know, there are the, the, the days that, they pop up and suddenly Josh Donaldson looks like Josh Donaldson and Troy Tulewitzki looks like Charlie Tulewitzki, but there's been too many days where, where they're off. And, you know, John Gibbons said at, after the press conference yesterday that, you know, the Blue Jays are where they are based on how they've been playing. And it, it, it just it is it is what it is at this point. So they would really need to, to have a really great turnout at this point to become this consistent team. And between all of the issues that they've had with the starting rotation, with the defense, um, with the fact that nobody seems to be hitting on a regular basis, it's very difficult to to picture the Blue Jays managing to make a run at this point.
1: Uh, Griff had the honor of being in Detroit yesterday for you guys, but wasn't yesterday the most Blue Jays game all season? I mean, horrible starting pitching, they score all the runs on home runs and play bad defense.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, I think that last year you would have, last year I think one of the unsung heroes of Blue Jays season was the fact that they had really, really solid defense, so when Jose Bautista hits a two-run home run, um, you're thinking, okay, well, they probably got this in the bag. But then, you know, things, things fall apart. And, um, when you're relying on, on the Bolton, which has done very well and deserves a lot of credit, but there's players like Lucas Carroll and Mike Boltinger who are in there making up for some of the, the, uh, pitchers like Dominic Leone who have pitched so much that they're, they've, they've already exhausted themselves. Um, you're really, you're playing with fire. And it just, it's become this, you know, in a game that last year, I think Jays fans would have expected the Blue Jays to come out with a win. They're no longer doing that, which is the crux, I think, of, of the problem that Blue Jays are having this year.
1: Laura Armstrong from the Toronto Star joining us from Boston where tonight the Red Sox open a four game set with the Blue Jays um, many have circled this ten game road trip on the schedule and had for quite some time uh, to be the determining factor for what the Jays are going to do is that is that the the obvious assessment here
3: yeah I think it is the obvious assessment but but we, I feel like we're, we're talking about this you know every two weeks you know at the end of um, at the end of June, we were talking about the um, the homestand, the six game homestand against Boston and Baltimore, and it's like I think it's getting to a point where we're not we're not there quite yet. And yes, certainly if the Blue Jays can salvage you know five or six wins um, over the next week, then then maybe we're talking about a change. that because they aren't that far out, because the other teams haven't you know sort of in the ALE. AL haven't, uh, haven't run away with it yet, but um, they're certainly, you know, it gets to a point where it's like how many games are left, and you look at it and they're starting to really dwindle, and it, I think it's at a point where it's now or never. We're not going to look at another home stand and think, okay, well, this is the time for the Jays to turn it around. Uh,
1: the Blue Jays will have to pass one or two of the following teams to get into the playoffs. Tampa, the Yankees, uh, Minnesota, Kansas City, Seattle, uh, Texas, L.A., Baltimore. Um, two of those teams will make a wild card spot. Are, which two of those teams do you think are the best positioned to make the playoffs? in other words which which two should the Jays be most focused on?
3: I think that one of the really interesting stories that that we 're not seeing right now is um, is Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, Tampa Bay seems to be gaining momentum at a time where um, they 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 're starting to get into the second half of the season. They sort of really quietly. Um, managed to, to gain this momentum in um, in the division, and and they're just there their their issues that they've had at, like starting rotation and and some injuries. They're, they've managed to work through it, and they're at a point where people seem to be coming back from injury, and yet they've still managed to hang on. But they've hung on better than what the Blue Jays did in May, for example, when Josh Donaldson and um, and you were injured one of the things that the jays will be you know look at optimistically is the fact that they do play tampa i think in a couple of series um even though they played them a few times already this season they play them in a couple of series um in august so technically you know if they manage to pull one over on on the Rays, then maybe you're 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 looking at it strategically that's a, that's a team that you can you can jump over um, I also think that you know with Aaron Judge, it's very difficult to count out the, the New York Yankees.
1: The amazing thing with Tampa, and I'm glad you brought them up, and we talked about this last week as well. But Tampa is is the team that when you think about them making a uh, a, a run to the playoffs, that they would be you know basically relying on their pitching they're 23rd in the major leagues in ERA yet they're 11th i believe last time i checked in runs scored um so this is a team that's doing it offensively they've been doing it for the last month without Kiermaier and th- like this is just not the Tampa Bay team that we expected to see this year
3: no it's not and you know and, and if it, especially you're talking about the Blue Jays i mean when Kevin Kiermaier went down it was a, it was a huge problem mm-hmm. for the, the Rays, and it looked like it was going to be this big hole, um, but they've managed to really sustain um, dominance so far this year and, and, and start moving towards even improving. And now that, you know, Kevin Kiermaier um, is, you know, he's the guy, right? So it will be helpful to have him back. Um, and then, you know, especially with the Jays, they've struggled so much against Tampa. Um Chris Archer has really been a thorn in the Blue Jays' side. Um, their bats always seem to be hot between Steven Souza and Evan Longoria when, when they're um, in Toronto. And also, you know, Tropicana Field for years has really not been a place where the Jays have succeeded. So it's going to be a really, really interesting um, dynamic, I think because they are the sleeper, I think, in the ALEs. But I, I think that people need to start paying attention to them.
1: A beautiful night in Boston, and you're going to get paid to watch baseball at Fenway. Life is good, huh?
3: Life is good. I can't <laughs> complain.
1: <laughs> Laura, enjoy the trip, and thank you so much for doing this.
3: Thanks for having me.
1: That's Laura Armstrong from the Toronto Star. You can follow her on Twitter, at Laura Army, um, And, uh, yeah, it's, it sums it up. I mean, it's just there's too many teams to pass and you're expecting all of those teams to go into the tank to a degree and not pull off those lengthy winning streaks, I just, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. A couple of years in the playoffs, and now out, and we'll see what happens Uh, down the stretch, and it makes uh, the next couple of weeks really interesting, certainly in terms of personnel. Bob Weeks on the Open Championship when we return. This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Corona today. Mike Hogan in for Gareth Wheeler. Keeping company until 1 o'clock. Uh, the lovable and talented Scott MacArthur back in the building. He will be in here at 1 o'clock to uh, spread the gospel of uh, the Scotty Mac show. And he'll be talking a ton of Blue Jays baseball. Specifically between 3 and 4, if you uh, haven't been listening to the station, maybe you were away last week, uh, the 3 to 4 o'clock hour is completely dedicated to baseball. The baseball hour 3 to 4 on the Scotty Mac show every weekday. Here on TSN 1050. Between now and then, uh, we'll give you one more update of the poll before the top of the hour as well. Uh, but Bob Weeks is going to uh, join us here momentarily. He has already made it across the pond as the uh, the Open Championship will be held at Royal Birkdale this year. And um, we, will, uh, we will assess the favorites. And talk about uh, you know which which of the the, uh, the golfers may be in a in a great position in terms of how they're playing right now and the way the course is setting up. Uh, interesting. Uh, they, they've announced the the groups, and uh, on Thursday and Friday, Rory McIlroy, Dustin Johnson, and Charles Schwartzel will all be in the same group. That will be interesting. Uh, to say the least, and uh, there may be a few cameras on that group as the as the day progresses. Um so that's uh, coming up in, in weeks he will drop by. I also want to get his thoughts on what happened in New Jersey over the weekend. I know uh, he wasn't uh, probably glued to that as he was uh, getting ready for his, uh, uh, his work. Or I don't even know if the flight was yesterday over there. But there, there were some interesting stories that I did want to deal uh, with Bob about as well as we, uh, as we sort of put the U.S. Women's Open in the rearview mirror and, and look ahead to uh, what happens uh, starting Thursday at Royal Birkdale and uh, maybe get, a, I don't know, the, the weather forecast, What even if that means anything over there this far in advance, but just sort of look at the long-term weather forecast, and if they are expecting uh, a couple of days of horrendous weather. Um, I know every one of the major championships, at least three of the major championships, have their own uh, their own persona. And, you know, the Masters, it's the history, it's the golf course, it's the prestige, And, you know, the course more than anything else. And then the U.S. Open has its own personality. uh, Very narrow fairways, very uh, deep cuts in the first uh, first cut of rough, and diabolical greens, as it were. And the British Open, again, you think of a different style of golf. You think of the weather probably as much as you think of the style of play, the bump and run uh, that... Players for the most part have to be able to play if they are going to be successful at a British Open. And that's, you know, that's why I I really like the way that the three majors specifically line up because they do have to the, the, the the tournaments are just different for what the courses are. And in my estimation, the PGA has always struggled to find that personality. What what is the PGA to you? Well, it's a it's a fourth major. That seems to be all it is. You know, even the uh, for those who consider the Players Tournament the fifth major, it's got the personality. It's got it's got seventeen. It's got eighteen. It's got all of that stuff. Um, and the players seem to really enjoy playing it. It's it's the stadium golf. It's all of those good things. So that always seems to have more personality. To me, uh, the Pro-Am at Pebble Beach has more of a personality than the PGA does. Playing at some courses we see a, on the U.S. Open rotation, other times not. I thought when they played in Washington, um, when the, the year that uh, uh, Dustin Johnson disintegrated down the stretch, it was a different-looking golf course. And to me, at least... Um, that made the tournament a little more unique. And maybe that's the way the PGA should go. It should go at some of the non-traditional courses and just to give it a little bit of a different wrinkle. Maybe that's the way the PGA can go. I've, I've thought often about how it can do that, but one thing we know for sure, the Open Championship doesn't need that help at all. Um, The British Open is a tournament that is unique. The best players in Europe will look at this as being the most important stop on the tour of the season, more so than the U.S. Open or the Masters. This is it. And it always brings out the best in the Euros. And sometimes the way that the courses line up, you know what it's like over here. Players uh, for the most part, are uh, are the guys that hit it long and hit it high and play darts, essentially, uh, with, uh, with greens. And there's a little bit more to it over there. So it's a different style of golf. And for some of the Americans, uh, it really brings them out of their comfort level. And some can do it and some can't. And perhaps the best of all time among North American players to go over there was Tom Watson. Tom Watson could play that style of golf as well as any of the best Euros. And he was almost always a contender over there. Uh, he won the, cha- the, the, the tournament on more than one occasion and uh, was just that guy. And almost won it. What was he, 60 years old when he almost won it? Something ridiculous like that a few years ago? Missed the putt late? So we'll, we'll find out from Weeksy here. We're having uh, trouble, I guess, connecting with uh, with Robert, are we? Can we take the, uh, the the time out here, try to regroup, and we'll come back, and hopefully we'll, we'll have connected with Bob Weeks by then. Uh, if not, I don't know where we're going, but hopefully Bob will join us when we come back. You are listening uh, to Toronto Today. I'm Mike Hogan, and for Gareth Wheeler, this is TSN 1050. <laughs> This is Toronto Today. Mike Hogan in for Gareth Wheeler. Uh, Coming up at the top of the clock, it's Scott MacArthur. Uh, Right now, a look at the world of golf and our Golf Insider is brought to you by your Ontario Subaru dealers. Test drive the superior performance of a Subaru today. And joining us, he is all—he's a keener. He is already uh, ready for the uh, British Open. He is across the pond, joining us uh, as they get ready for the Open Championship beginning on Thursday at Royal Burkdale. Ladies and gentlemen, from TSN Golf Analyst, co-host of Golf Talk Canada, Mister <laughs> Bob Weeks. What's up, Weeksy? <laughs>
0: Hello Ogie how are you? Well,
1: I am I'm, I'm I'm introducing people today and they're giggling as I'm introducing them. Why why did you just giggle? Just
0: seemed very formal that's all. I just uh there's a long-winded introduction. You could have just said here's Weeksi.
1: Okay, here's the jackass from across the pond. Does that make you feel better? Well,
0: now <laughs> <laughs> I... Thank I, you very much for both introductions. Somewhere in the middle will be perfect. <laughs> I am
1: I am a man of extremes, Robert. You know that. You know that yes, about yes, me. Yes, indeed. There we go. Um, were you, before we get into the Open, which is why we have you on, obviously, were you able to watch any of the women's U.S. Open, or were you sort of uh, already in full British Open mode?
0: No, I, I watched a fair bit of it. Unfortunately, I didn't see the end because we were... Uh, we were just about to take off in the plane, so I was loading myself up at, uh, at uh, Pearson. But uh, I did watch some of it, and um, you know, I, I'm I'm always amazed at the women's at the women's game and and some of the winners who are out there, and you know, a lot of them have a tough time getting. Uh, Getting some traction, but I thought there was some pretty exciting golf actually going on. But uh, apparently, not everybody agreed with me, (laughs) from what I read.
1: Well, I I thought it was very intriguing, especially with uh, the seventeen-year-old Choi. um, You know, having an opportunity Mm. to win this, and if she doesn't hit her uh, tee shot into the drink on uh, sixteen, she might have won the tournament. I thought that was absolutely uh, maybe the most uh, riveting golf story of the year on either side.
0: Well, there was a lot of weird stuff, sort of that part of it also and then of course donald Trump showing up and wow. causing a lot of uh sure a lot of um uh, nonsense and stuff going on not that donald trump is nonsense i'm not saying either side i'm just saying that there was a lot of attention paid to him and a lot of uh security precautions i know one girl was tell- tweeting out the fact that she had to wait uh 17 minutes between between shots because uh, she wasn't allowed to go from the uh, ninth green to the first uh, to the 10th tee uh, while Donald Trump was getting himself uh, around the golf course or to, into a secure spot, so um, as I say, there's lots of, always always lots of good stories, but yeah. uh, the women's, women's game probably doesn't get enough attention.
1: I, I do have a new favorite golfer, though, uh, Shen Shen Feng okay. from China, and I didn't know <laughs> yeah. much. Ab- I honestly didn't know much about her, but you know, she's obviously uh, got a unique body type as she kind of uh, you know uh, gets yep. around the golf course. And there were two things that stood out to me um, before I even did research. She rolls off 23 pars in a row, and then birdies 18 on Saturday. And she makes a putt, and she looks up, and she goes, Yay, I got a birdie! (laughs) (laughs) And then then yesterday, like, she's cruising along, she's tied for second, and then she triples 18. And when she tripled 18, you would think, how many people will just stand over the hole or kind of toss their putter or just, you know, give the grimace? She had the biggest smile on her face after she got through kind of that, Oh, well, stuff happens. I mean, it's a great story how she got out of China and the whole bit. And it's when I read the backstory, I like her even more. What a great personality!
0: And and she's a hell of a golfer, and uh, who often, by the way, dresses um, in cow themes. She has a lot of her clothing <laughs> has kind of cow themed uh, motifs to it. Uh, she's wearing that, I think, on Friday or Saturday at the tournament. But you'll often see her doing that. But she's yeah. a wonderful lady. A uh, very unique personality, for sure.
1: Oh, absolutely. Let's uh, get on to to where you are right now. Um, what's the biggest story in this tournament heading in?
0: You know, I've been asked that a couple times, and I was sort of thinking. It, it, someone said, "Well, is it, is it Dustin Johnson and uh, not winning?" And I said, "Well, it's probably kind of the play of Johnson, McIlroy, Jason Day. If you go back a year a year ago, really, those three guys were playing pretty well, pretty good golf. And right now, I think there's just question marks around all three of them." and Jordan Spieth is is playing a little better than those three but but I think there's still some question marks around him in the open championship. So, you know, you've got I won't say that there's a big four in golf, but those four big names um I think are are all are all question markable if that's a term. It is now. And then, and now and now I wonder if if we're going to extend this uh this streak of first time winners at in major championships from 7 uh, when where uh, Brooks Koepka list, uh, left it to to eight, and in that case, there's a bunch of names there that jump up as well. I think that's the uh, the equally big big story. Uh, guys like Tommy Fleetwood and Ricky Fowler, and um, you know, I think there's a bunch in that category as well that, that could surprise us here.
1: Dustin Johnson is obviously the story when he's on; he's the best player in the world. Uh, but does this golf course set up for him?
0: I think every golf course sets well, up for him, and I don't mean yeah. that kind of being facetiously. I really do think that he is uh you know there's not very many golfers out there whose game can can be transported to any style of of golf course or any uh major championship but i think he has won and his past record here you know shows that i mean he should have won a few years ago at at royal st george's when he hit a ball so far out of bounds on the i think the 15th hole uh coming down the stretch with the lead uh, to, to take himself out of it so um, but but I like the way Dustin Johnson plays without a lot of emotion to his game in terms of ups and downs. He tries to keep an even keel, and it really seems like he does do that. Uh, but right now, he missed the cut in his last two starts, including the U.S. Open, which was surprising to me. And I just don't know. I just don't know what to expect from him. That's that's the biggest biggest question mark about Dustin Johnson right now is uh, which guy is going to show up as you say when he is playing his best. I think he's the best golfer in the world.
1: Uh, we used to say that about Rory McIlroy, but three years now since he's won a major, right? Um, is, can he turn it around?
0: Yeah, I mean that's not not necessarily a long time in terms of uh, of golf years, but I think Rory McIlroy is, is is frustrated by not performing better. Um, he's missed, I think, the cut in three of the last five majors that he's played. So including,
1: yeah.
0: including the last two U.S. Opens. So I think there's, there are some doubts out there about him at the moment. He keeps saying, oh, I'm close, I'm close, I'm close. And the big, the big problem with him, is, of course, has been his putting. Now on, a, on an Open Championship golf course, you know, the greens are a little slower, so you can get a little more aggressive with your stroke, uh, as Henrik Stinson did last year and as Zach Johnson did the year before. So that might be a benefit for Rory McElroy. So we may see a little bit of a turnaround, because the rest of his game really isn't all
1: that bad. When does Sergio Garcia get married, or has he already been married?
0: Uh, no, I believe it's uh, it's coming up in August, is from what I understand. He's been kind of secretive about it, which I don't blame him. Yeah, <laughs> he's kind of uh, kind of trying to uh, to try and keep that on. But uh, yeah, boy, that the whole relationship has just changed his whole outlook on the game, uh, his whole outlook on on in life in many ways, I guess. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play very well this week. He is. Uh, A good, good open championship, a good link style golf player. Uh, I think after you win a major, the first major back, which would have been last year's or the last month's U.S. Open, there's always a lot of hoopla surrounding it. Sure. Uh, so I think Sergio Garcia might play well this week.
1: Yeah, I, I ask that because you know how many people have been married, and just the the event itself. And I can imagine the scale of wedding that he would have, uh, with the financial resources that he does have. Uh, it may be a rather large wedding that can kind of get into your brain a little bit. I'm just wondering if he's going to be able to, you know, get that out of the kitchen when he's playing.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I guess you can look at Rory McIlroy because he got married months or so, or two months ago. So that may be something to choose from and you're it's true in some ways it can work as a distraction in other ways uh it might be something where he's where he's able to sort of unfocus uh from golf 24 7 and relax a bit he's got more than enough game i think he's getting used to being a major champion and he's playing with he's playing with his money now right when you think about it a guy for so long would go into a major championship and be asked when are you going to win now that he's got that i I think there's a lot of pressure off him so um, maybe maybe this is what he needs or something to, to take his focus away from, from being on the golf course all the time.
1: Uh, Tom Watson dominated for a long time. It was it was his style of play. Obviously, he was better than most North Americans, if not any North American ever, at the bump and run style of play. Uh, Phil Mickelson's pretty good as well. Uh, Watson almost won as an older player. Is Mickelson uh, even? An, is he just an afterthought at this stage?
0: I would say if he's not a master, he's not much more than that at the yeah. moment. He just seems to be struggling with his game, and you know, by his own admission, he never thought he'd win the Open Championship. Phil has a very high ball flight, but as you say, he's a smart enough golfer that he can get it around. And when he won uh, the Open Championship, I think I think he thought that would be that would be just like a one-time thing. But I think he's still hungry. I think he still knows enough. I think he can. You know, bat the ball around in certain ways, and 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 use his uh, his experience more than anything to try and get himself in contention. He hasn't won here. The last time he won anywhere was the 2013 uh, Open Championship that he won. So he's certainly been uh, been on a bit of a dry spell, uh, not just for for majors, but for all golf tournaments. And uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can turn it around right now. This will be the first one, of course, that he's uh, he's played without his uh, longtime caddy Jim Bones Mackay. So. He's got his brother on the bag, and maybe that uh, will shake things up a bit.
1: Uh, I know that uh, this may be a fool's game predicting the weather in England, but uh, is there any ta- <laughs> is there any talk in Southport about uh, what it's going to be like for the rest of the week and weekend?
0: There's a lot of people who are trying to trying to convince us of the weather we have today, which is about uh, 25 degrees, sunny, and still is what we're going to get all week, but then they kind of laugh after they do that. So they, <laughs> I think uh, I think that it's going to be a little mixed, bit of a mixed bag. There is one day, I believe it's Saturday, where the gusts and the wind is supposed to really come up, um, But and we're going to get a little bit of rain, a little bit of wind before the week is out, for sure, pretty much every day, I think. But yeah. I don't think, aside from that one day, I think it's going to be kind of what I would call typical Open Championship golf, where... Uh, you might want to have your sweater, sweater and your umbrella ready, but you might be putting it up and down and taking your sweater on and off as uh, as the day goes on.
1: But as a viewer sitting in the comforts of uh, comfort of my nice warm couch, that's what I want to see in a British Open. I want the elements to come into play because it makes for better drama.
0: I think that's the one distinguishing feature of this major championship: is the weather, is the fact that you're playing usually, uh, you know, a few feet or, or yards from from the ocean. So you're getting breezes, you're getting wind, you're getting some, some difficult weather. And, and really, you know, the weather can determine the winter in terms of, of when you go out, and when you play, uh, you might get a, a great break from, from playing in calm conditions like they did at, uh, uh, Muirfield a number of years back, you know, it was beautiful, calm, warm. And then this huge storm came ripping in that Justin Rose was saying uh, a couple of weeks ago. He said, yeah, I, I remember that. Well, I was sitting in my uh, hotel room watching it on TV and I saw all these guys going out and hitting drivers on par threes. And, uh, Uh, You know, umbrellas were basically useless. So uh, he he had already he moved up the leaderboard. I think something like forty five spots just by sitting in his hotel room and watching the uh, golf on TV.
1: I remember uh, uh, speaking with Ben Wright at one point, and I asked him about you know his uh, his thoughts of the Open, et cetera, et cetera. And I think they were playing at Royal Troon one year, and he said the only time in his life that he played thirty six holes in one day was at Royal Troon and he said the only reason he did it is the wind completely did a 180 for the afternoon so he'd played in the morning and he just wanted to see how dramatic the shift was in case uh, he ever had to call um uh you know an open from that course in that time and he said I think he said he hit wedge on like the postage stamp or one of the one of the uh, one of the par 3s in the uh, in the morning and then he was hitting like 4 iron in the afternoon because it was just ridiculous how much the wind would affect one hole
0: well, that's what happened at Muirfield uh, that one year where I think uh, uh, Colin Montgomery shot 64 the first day and then when he, playing in the teeth of the storm, he shot 84, which was apparently <laughs> the biggest difference in uh, in scores for, uh, for, a, for a player in the Open Championship.
1: I uh, I hope it stays uh, calm wherever you are watching from that the tent doesn't blow away, but I'm sure you will be fine. <laughs> Thanks, Ogie. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Appreciate it. Have fun, pal. Take, take care. That Bye-bye. is Bob Weeks, joining us, TSN golf analyst, the co-host of Golf Talk Canada on TSN 1050. You can follow him at Bob Weeks TSN, and uh, he is live at the Open Championship on our Golf Insider, brought to you by your Ontario Subaru dealers. Test drive the superior performance of a Subaru today. So our thanks to Bob Weeks, and that's that's the other thing. I mean, isn't it? You don't want to see the really bad weather roll in if you're going to the event. If you were at the Honda Indy yesterday and you were sitting up in the stands, the last thing you wanted to see happen was the downpour to start. But from the comfort of the couch, the weather was such a major factor in teams' decisions in the last... 10 to 15 laps specifically. Um, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened if, uh, if the uh, if the clouds had have opened up. but it's like when you're watching a football game and it's winter weather and you're at home on the couch, beverage in hand, bucket of nachos next to you, and you're watching especially a playoff game in Green Bay or Chicago or wherever it may be. And there' or Denver, and it's it's minus thirty, and there's a foot of snow on the ground. Don't you love watching those? You don't want to be on the stands for them, mind you, but to sit back and watch one of those events, I think that's fantastic. It's great drama, and it's the same thing for golf. You don't want to be out hacking it around. You don't want to be on the course or in the gallery um if it's rainy, windy, especially where you just can't get the cold out of you, where you got that damp feeling, and you just can't shake it. But if you're watching from the couch, and you're watching these poor saps going around 18, and trying to hit the ball straight, or just seeing when they have that golf tracker now, the ball tracker, and you'll see just how much it'll move from side to side if it's a crosswind on any specific hole. That's outstanding drama. And that adds to the British Open. There's no question about that. So our thanks to Bob Weeks for joining. I'm sure he's going to have a a fantastic time over there uh, in Southport, England, at the Royal Birkdale. Um, That's essentially going to do it for us. Did you have a good day today, guys, on the other side of the glass? I think so. You're okay with that, Joe? Yeah, I didn't eat a muffin, so I got through the day pretty solidly. Well, I didn't give it to you. That's why. Sorry. Um, just wanted to uh, to point out our uh, our poll. I guess not our final update, but uh, as we leave the air. Uh, the falling Blue Jays fell a little bit. We asked about the biggest sports story uh, in Toronto this summer. 59% say the failing Blue Jays. 19% say SJ Green and Ricky Ray. 17% say TFC's dominant again. And just 5% talk about the Raptors reshuffling. How do we do today, Keith? Keith Bauer, our technical poobah. Ah, uh, I got no issues over here. I'm good. That's good. Well, you worked with Narsa, and you got through two hours, so that's congratulations. But You'd I got to like, put up with Uncle Shawnee for another three hours after oh, this, so man. my mood could change uh, quite substantially it's, over the next two hours. It's tough to trade down from grumpy Narsa. But, uh, but on, Uncle Shawnee was very grumpy when I arrived today, so he, I'm... Yeah. I'm not too sure if we'll call this a trade down or a trade up. Excuse me. No, I didn't. I said trading down. Okay, never mind. From Narsa to uh, to, to <laughs> Sean on any day. Uh, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Uh, Scotty Mack is back on his own program coming up next. Uh, I'll be in tomorrow here on TSN 1050.